0: Well, good morning, Generations. Good morning. That's something Terry that just said uh, I kind of want to start with. Um, if you've got that slide, if we can put that slide up. Uh, Monday morning, I was I, I had an appointment to meet with the uh, one of the ca- the new captains at uh, Los Al PD. And as I got together with him for coffee, uh, we were just talking about the season that he's been in. And, and if you had been around here for a little bit, or if you've been following along publicly, uh, the season he's been in, uh, he is replacing a captain uh, who died earlier this year. And wasn't just that he died, there was uh, a mess surrounding the entire thing. And uh, if you remember, we gathered together, we prayed around that situation. We knew both folks in the police department, friends of this person, friends of, of the captain who passed. And... And so I've been developing a relationship with the captain that is replacing him, a new captain. He was a sergeant at the time. And as we got together on on Monday morning, uh, we were just talking, and another cop had died over the weekend. And uh, there was an accident. I think it was Sunday. I'm not sure if he died on the spot or if it was announced on Monday. Anyhow, but between Sunday and Monday morning early when I was meeting with him, Uh, Matt Ward gave his life, who was a a Cypress PD officer. Now, this was an off-duty car collision. So we're talking about this and just some of the struggles, and I didn't have this picture to look at. We were just talking about a police officer, and then I drove from there. They got a call, actually, and so this cop takes off to go to a call. I worked my way up to the office, and uh, that day I found out that our next-door neighbors uh, in our business park had lost their husband. The owner of Chartreuse, the business next door to us, is Allison. And this is Allison's husband, Matt, a Cypress PD officer for the last nine years. And gave his life, got it, just lost his life this weekend. And so, uh, this last weekend, excuse me. So we've been thinking through just the stuff that's going on in our city. And, and I know you all have stuff going on too. And, and last week, out on the patio, I prayed with a woman that, that attends church here who had lost a loved one. And I don't know any, any good circumstances of losing someone, but uh, her circumstances had things that made it complex, made it more painful. And uh, so I've just been thinking about the pain season that we've been in. And one of the things we're going to do, as we were talking about it this week, is this coming Selah, which is the fourth Sunday of every month, this time we gather together to pray, um, we're going to spend our time this coming Sunday, or this coming Selah, uh, I believe that's next Sunday night, uh, would be, we're going to spend our times in some psalms of lament. And uh, the psalms, as you know, are kind of like the biblical songbook out of the Old Testament. And some of them are laments. Some of them are men like King David just crying out to God, I don't understand what's going on, God. Like, why am I being pursued by my enemies, why does it seem like wicked men prosper and yet I can't seem to get ahead, like why? And I'm mean, like, sometimes these psalmists are just pouring out their heart and those aren't normally the songs that we sing on a Sunday, I mean normally the songs that we sing are pretty worshipful, pretty, pretty praising and, and uplifting, at least for the most part, but there is a time and a place to embrace the fact that life's not always easy and that life sometimes is incredibly painful and so just know we're going we're gonna to look at that. Uh, we're going to look at that on Sunday night, uh, whatever that would be, the 22nd, I guess, would be the night we're doing that. And so right across the street, 6 p.m., Selah, if you'd come join us, some of our pastors are going to share just through some different Psalms. And so I want to pray for our city, and then I want to dive into the message today, but I just felt like today was a time um, just to think about those that are that are hurting and losing people and have lost people who suffer under this. As we enter into the holidays, sometimes that stuff surfaces again. And so would you pray with me? God, we love you. And we know that not one life is necessarily more important than another one. I know that when a police officer gives their life, especially in the line of duty, I know that that resonates with us or a military, uh, someone in the military loses their life on on a battlefield or due to mental or physical injuries sustained on the battlefield maybe later down the road. But for us, every time we lose a loved one, it's as if they were the only person ever alive. Sometimes they just hit us. And I know the anniversary of my best friend's death, my best friend's suicide, was just uh, just this last week. And God, I know that there are not really any days that go by that I don't think of him. We lost a brother, we lost some friends. And God, I know this is a real feeling. And sometimes those things heal well, but sometimes they, they never really do go away. So I pray for Allison. I pray for their two children. I pray for the staff at Chartreuse that are very close. I pray for Cypress PD and Los Al PD who serve side by side uh, together. Um, I know my friends Ed and Lillian. Uh, were good friends with Matt. And so I pray for them as they've suffered this loss, even though it's out of state. Um, it's hitting them. God, help us to be those people. As folks that are in need or in pain walk on, this campus. May we love them. Uh, May we treat them well. Uh, May we realize that sometimes we're dealing with people in pain and they need extra care. Lord, helps to be those people when we're not always those people. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. By the way, if you are interested or if you knew Matt, the services are this Thursday at Seacoast Grace. I have the information. Today in Hebrews 8, I want to kind of start with an image that you're familiar with. Now, I think attorneys tend to get a bad reputation, right? I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of jokes where an attorney, I'm looking at Bill because I love Bill. He's one of our elders. He's an attorney. And so, so this is not aimed at Bill. So we just kind of do this for a little bit, right? So a lot of times the punchline ends right there, Right? But again, if we're, if we're thinking about that, we tend to think of attorneys that are kind of ambulance chasers, right? That they're running around looking to get rich off of other people's injuries, and we have opinions about how the system works in, in their case. Or we think of those attorneys who defend sleazy criminal people, and maybe they get them off, and, and, you, know, they, they, you know, we think that justice was not served through them, but then there's tons of other kinds of attorneys, and I'll, and I'll just give you an example uh, with Bill, like every time we have to sign a contract or everything, every time we work through something legally, I always send it to Bill. I say, hey Bill, will you please read this? He's one of our elders, he's an attorney, he's trustworthy, so far, he's been trustworthy. And uh, so let him read through these things and I feel comfortable, if Bill says you can sign it, I'll sign it, unless it's like a check made out to him or something, I get a little weird then. But you know, so I make sure, but see like when you're in need, when you need legal counsel, an attorney's a good thing, right? Like, if you've been accused of something or if you're in need of something or if you're committing yourself to something, you know, you need to know someone that knows the legal ins and outs, right? That understands the jargon, that can do the job, that specializes in this area. And I don't, and Bill does, and so I will. I, I find great trust, if you will, and comfort in knowing that he is if you will, my mediator between me and that, who's ever on the other end of that contract or agreement or whatever. And really we've been looking at Jesus and we've even used the term mediator and we're saying so that Jesus is our mediator, And so we've been working through these messages at the beginning of Hebrews. And Hebrews, this this letter in the New Testament, is really written to an audience different than ours. It's written to an audience of primarily Jewish converts to Christianity. And so there there are those who grew up Jewish or converted to Judaism, and they were awaiting the promised Messiah, the promise of God, that the things that God had said would always come about, and they were the ones that had lived in that era where Jesus had come and fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament. He was the promise of God in the flesh. Not only was he God in the flesh, but he was God's promises fulfilled to the people many of them who got to see this with their own eyes the disciples were Jewish they got to see the Messiah the promise come they watched as God entered into human history and and lived with them and yet lived not only with them and among them but lived differently than them and lived in such a way where where Jesus' entire life was given over to bringing God glory. And then that same Jesus would be falsely accused and falsely condemned and betrayed and nailed to a cross. And that this Jesus who had promised or prophesied about his death before it happened said, listen, this will be the result. I will go and I will be crucified and I will do so to cover the penalty of sin in human history. And then as we know the story, Jesus was crucified and died. He was placed in a tomb, dead in the flesh. But three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead in victory. And so that Jesus then walked and lived amongst the disciples for many days, for several weeks, proving that, yes, he had died, but he was alive again. And then he said, listen, I will ascend back to heaven. I will return to heaven where I am from, and I, I will return to the throne in heaven. I will return to the very presence of God, and that's where I belong. And you will await my return. And really, this return, I think, if we could kind of take away what the American church tends to think about all this in between then and, and then, if you will, and just say, I I will return I will make everything right one day. Right? Lots of people believe lots of things about this and that, but if we just said, listen, I I promise that I I will make everything right that is wrong, but until then, I'll put my spirit in you. I will place my presence in you. It's better that I go away, that you might have me in you rather than me with you. So Jesus doing all that is required to satisfy our salvation, to pay the penalty for our death, to die in our place, to raise again to life so that he can give us new life, give life to our dead hearts, if you will, raise us again over, through, or uh, above our problems and struggles, and then reigning on heaven. So we oftentimes in the Christian church, we kind of leave Jesus, if you will, in Acts 1 kind of ascending. Maybe he's like 100 yards up in the air, little holes in his feet. Like I mean, like that's kind of where we see him, right? And then there's a lot of question between the Jesus up there and the Jesus in the end. And we get a couple glimpses, but we don't really emphasize that part of Jesus, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of the Father, that Jesus is there, our mediator in person, that his spirit lives in us, but he lives for real and reigns. And that every glimpse we get to see into heaven, we either see Jesus seated on the throne, standing up, recognizing like Stephen. When Stephen dies, it's like Jesus giving him a standing ovation like, that's my guy right there. Or we see him praying on our behalf. And I don't know what's more powerful than the idea of God who came in the flesh and gave his life for me, standing and interceding, praying on my behalf. Being my advocate, mediator, think attorney, on my behalf representing me. That's what the story is today. We've seen Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Judaism. We've seen Jesus as the great high priest, in other words, above, above the high priests, Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, a Christophany from the Old Testament that Pastor Matt did last week, did an incredible job on. And it's in that point right now where the author of Hebrews says, "Okay, let me make sure we're all in the same place." So Hebrews eight, verse one. Let's look at that. Now the point in what we are saying is this: we have such a high priest, one who is seated. At the right hand of the throne of the, ma- of the majesty, meaning God, in heaven. I skipped a main idea for you. For those of you in community groups, you need a main idea. Or you will have nothing to work on this week. So let me do that. Main idea today. Hebrews teaches us that the promise of the gospel, otherwise known as the new covenant, are built on the accomplishments of Jesus and the faithfulness of God. Consider Jesus as the mediator. We'll use attorney as kind of a simile today, if you will. Consider Jesus as our attorney, God as the judge, and the verdict as eternity. Now, hear me when I say eternity. What do I mean by eternity? Endless. Not no time, but all time, I would say, probably. I get what you're saying, but when does eternity start? Mm, That's what I'm talking about. We tend to put eternity down here. See, eternity is now. Eternity is later, and yes, eternity is way out there. no time, I get it. Don't miss eternity as this thing to come, but as this thing that's begun okay yes. so there's Jesus our our advocate, right that's what I think of when I think of an attorney our, our my advocate when, when Bill reads a, a contract for me, if we make a change, the only change in mind is either on behalf of the church, which really is it's for my good, but I'm I'm doing something for the church. It's for our better, right? For the church's better. It's not, he's not worried about the other side of the conversation. He's only worried about our side. He's our advocate. He's our mediator. See, Jesus is our advocate, our mediator. God is the judge. And eternity from now until forever is what we're talking about. That's the main idea today. So let me read verse one again for you. Now the point And what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. So Jesus, our great high priest, we have looked at the role of high priest primarily through the lens of human leaders and sacrifices made due to sin. Today we want to look through the lens of the mediator between God and humanity. When that great high priest would go in into the presence of God once a year on the day of atonement, when that that priest would go in, the one unique responsibility of that high priest was to enter behind or through that curtain that separated the presence of God from humanity. And this is the one that we spent time on. They had to make sacrifice for their own sin. They had to cleanse themselves, literally even change clothes, go through a process so that when they entered in behind that veil, as they entered into God's presence, literally if they had not done it right, they would die. Because they could not, sinful humanity cannot stand in the presence of a holy God and just be okay with that. And so there was this process But again, this happened year after year after year after year. But when that high priest would go in and would stand before the presence of God, that high priest would then begin to mediate or pray on behalf of the people. So we saw the high priest as a flawed role, a human being, one who needed sacrifice for their own sin. We saw them as they worshiped and sacrificed on behalf of the sin of the people. But then they stood in the presence of God and literally just said, hey, listen, I, I want to pray for Tom and Raquel. And, and God, I know you love them. Here's what's going on. I want to pray for Stacy. I want to pray for Jeff and Lisa. I want to, I want to, I just, and just stood in the presence of God, just bearing the needs and the cares and the wants of the people. Now I want you to see that as Jesus today not only just bringing your needs, but advocating on behalf of us before the Father. Listen, I know Jeff doesn't have all, to, all together, but, but he's mine. I died for him, and God, he's in need. Or God, he needs change. God, will you, will you pour out your blessing on Jeff? God, will you forgive Jeff for the innumerable stupid things he does? And there's a lot of them, just for the record. Not that you are surprised by that in any way. But I know that Jesus stands there, the perfect mediator on my behalf and on your behalf. And if you're in Christ today, if you have given your life over to Jesus, if you live to follow Jesus, not flawlessly because none of us do, but if that's you, if your life is hidden in Christ, he makes that same case for you. Verse 2. You know what? There's, there's one more. Uh, the ascended Jesus. I, I want you to see it through this lens. Jesus lived this life and died this death. He is now seated at the right hand of God. I think there's another sentence to that. This assures us that no one can speak as authoritatively about what this life means, how we are to live, and what comes next. Also, no one speaks as directly to God than Jesus seated at his right hand. Right, no one can speak on behalf of us better. No one can speak knowing what this life has, entails, knowing what sufferings go on in this life, knowing knowing what we do or endure because Jesus endured this life. If you're feeling pain right now, Jesus has felt that pain. If you're suffering, if you're tired, if you're lonely, if if, if you're broken-hearted, Jesus has felt those things. And, and he did so, he didn't have to. He did so that he could become your perfect advocate. His family at times called him crazy. His closest, some of us are crazy. i throw that out there. So uh, his closest friends literally obe- just, just betrayed him, said, I don't even know the man, denied him, were faithless. In his hardest time, his three closest friends fell asleep instead of prayed for him, prayed with him. I mean, just drop the ball. So Jesus knows what it looks like to live this life. And yet he has done it without failing God or us. And so as he stands there, he prays not as one who's removed from it, but as one who is deeply in touch with it. He's the only one who's lived and died and rose again eternally. So he knows what this life looks like. He helped create it. He lived it. He died this death. He rose from the grave to live eternally. He is the most authoritative voice on all of our experience now and forever. And no one stands between Jesus and the throne of majesty, God the Father. There's nothing to get in the way of that conversation. That Jesus is our mediator. The ascended Jesus. Verse two, Jesus is a minister in the holy places. In the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Now, note the words, true tent. And what we're doing is, remember, this is written to a Jewish audience. So this is written with a very Jewish context in mind. And so think back to the Jewish people wandering through the desert after Moses had liberated, or God had liberated them using Moses, and they were in the desert. And God says, Moses, I want you to create this tent, this tabernacle's another word for Tent. And this place of worship and inside in the in the centermost, furthest back place of this tent will be God's presence, that holy of holies. And so, of course, yes, this was a tent commanded by God to Moses for the people to make. And when they did so, and they did so right, and then they offered worship and sacrifice, then God's presence would reside there. And and this was, even though a tent made by hands, it was what God said to do. But understand that this was just a a temporal tent. This was just a a copy of of God's presence for real. That this tent couldn't hold God, that he, he showed himself there and his, his presence was there. Yes, really, but that can't contain God. This was a tent made by hands. It says a ministry or a minister of the holy places in the true tent that the Lord had set up, not man. So really what he's saying is in the, a ministry in the true tent, in the true place in heaven, in the place where God exists. Now we, we know that God is everywhere right, that God has no beginning or end, that he is omnipresent, but we're talking about the difference of learning kind of there's there's the little tent you get to see, and then there's God, Not not a ministry or a minister in the small tent, like the high priest that was human, but a minister in the real thing, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying, so the old versus the new, if you will. The tent of meeting was where the high priest would enter once a year to meet with God. Jesus is in the presence of God eternally and daily praise for all of us who worship him. So not this once a year portable man-made thing, even though it was directed by God and a good thing. But that Jesus does this in the true, real, and eternal sense. In the presence of God, not just little, but big, not just temporary, but permanent. Verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Meaning Jesus, if you were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Now this is kind of bound up in the things that we've been talking about. If Jesus were still here on earth, then his sacrifice would not have been made because his sacrifice was his life. There's also a bit of Jewish history in this, and it ties back to Pastor Matt's message last week. Jesus wasn't a descendant of Levi, the Levitical priesthood. What he was saying is he's a greater priest in a greater order, the order of Melchizedek. If you missed that last week, let me we encourage you to go back a week on Facebook or go to our YouTube channel. Vimeo catch that message, right? To understand. The greater office that Jesus holds, the greater place that Jesus has fulfilled is very powerful. And, and to understand, just the challenges that Pastor Matt gave us last week were incredible. And so what he's saying is if he were a priest here, he really wouldn't be a priest at all. And, and really, this is why, that Jesus is the true sacrifice. The old covenant required constant sacrifice for sin day after day after day and year after year after year. Jesus has satisfied the sacrifice for sin by offering himself once for all. This reminds us that the new covenant is not exhausting and repetitive, but rather satisfying and complete. Imagine this. Imagine that this sacrifice for every time you blew it, whether you did it by mistake or on purpose, Imagine you had to sacrifice and and offer sacrifice to be forgiven, and imagine all the times you and I blow it, and imagine how many times those sacrifices had to be made, and imagine, just imagine how exhausting it would be to have to keep going back and saying, man, I blew it, and and make another, I mean, just, and this was a, a mess of a sacrifice, literal, death and blood. And see, the old covenant was to remind us the law was there to show us that we're guilty, that we're in need of a Savior because we're constantly guilty. But when Jesus came to fulfill it, he satisfied the sacrifice, so it's no longer repetitive and exhausting, and day in, day out, you're constantly in need of forgiveness, but Jesus came and satisfied the debt for our, uh, the penalty for our sin and covered our debt, and now we are called to not have this exhaustion, repetitive, but, but to be satisfied in Christ and to be given new life in Christ, and so we don't have to continually go back and wonder, okay, God, again, I, I'm unclean, I failed again. God, will you please forgive me? Instead, we just confess our sins to Jesus. Say, listen, I am stuck here, but I know you've made me new. Jesus, walk me through. Get me to that new place. Get me through this place to that new place where you have given me life and satisfaction. Verse 5, they, meaning those in the old covenant, serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. So the tent of meeting that would hold God's presence, God had given that to Moses. God had said, listen, here's how I want you to do that. I want you to to build this tabernacle or tent. I want you to build this place of meeting. I want you to build this place of worship. I want you to do this in the way that I show you. But Hebrews is saying, now listen, that was just a copy or a shadow. That that was just a foreshadowing, if you will, of the true space of worship, or place of worship, or place of presence of God. He says they served a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. I was thinking in the age of kind of science fiction and movies today, we have this idea of what a, a hologram is, right? I mean, if if we've seen any movies and we've, you know, I think of Star Wars and, you know, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? I mean, that was, okay, so I'm old. So it was the first one that ever came out, right? And it was pretty rickety and looked pretty fake. But you get the point, right? Then we had this hologram and you you could see the image. You could see the shape. You could hear the voice. You could see what this was, right? But if you were to try and touch it, you just go right through. There's no substance there. It's just a copy, a, a shadow or an image that really points to a different reality. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, and this is incredibly important for us to understand, is all that came before Jesus was just a copy. It's just a shadow. It was just a hologram to kind of give you an idea of what was coming in Christ. And all that we get to entertain today, even, even in our life, under the, covenant of the, under the new covenant of the gospel, under the grace and redemption of Jesus, really is a foreshadowing of that face-to-face relationship that we will be, with, or be in with Jesus in the presence of God. He says, I will show you the things. But the Old Testament sacrifice, the Old Testament priest, the Old Testament, all that was in there, was just to point forward to Jesus. And that's why so many New Testament authors say, listen, that the blood of bulls and goats and rams, that never covered any sin. It just pointed us to Jesus. The law didn't fix anything. It just proved we were in need of a savior. It says, no, Jesus is the truth. And yes, we have seen this much of Jesus, but as this, as we get to, as it culminates in all of history, and we get to walk and see and live in that physical presence of God, it will all, all that substance will come in. Verse six, it says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. In other words, if the first covenant Had worked. If the first covenant had done anything eternal and redemptive, there'd be no need for a new covenant, right? If the the first way had worked, and again, Pastor Matt covered some of this last week. And so, just as a point of recapping, if it worked, we wouldn't need anything new, right? And so, let me give you a note, especially for. And I know there's a lot of notes today. If you have the app, all the all the notes are in the the slides are all in your app. Uh, which will really help you out in a community group. The Old Covenant promised a Messiah to rescue humanity from our guilt. The New Covenant, uh, the Gospel, says Jesus has come, rescued and redeemed humanity, and now invites us into the kingdom of God today and forever. The Old Covenant says you're guilty and you're dirty and you're in need of a Savior. That your guilt is ever before you and your shame stains you. And you're in need of a Savior to come. And here's what you can do in the meantime, but that thing in the meantime is just a copy. It's a shadow. It's this thing that just points forward to the truth that is Jesus, to the satisfaction of that which is Christ. It points forward to him. And again, that forever starts today. Verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Let me just pause there. So verse 8 through the end of this passage, is going to quote a passage in Jeremiah. And I just thought I'd put the whole thing up there just so you can see that it is functionally a direct quote out of Jeremiah. So here's Jeremiah, 640 or so years before Jesus says this. God, through Jeremiah, says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So I want you to hear this about 640, 600 and something years before Jesus was born, before Jesus enters into human history when they're still hundreds of years away from that. They're waiting. They've been given the promises of God. They've been given the covenant of God and they are anticipating God fulfilling his promises. And at times, they would get tired of waiting and they would fall short. It's like we do. They would get tired of God not providing or giving in the in the time frame they wanted or how they wanted, and they would fall short. And so there were men like Jeremiah, prophets that would speak to the community and say, "Listen now, now to listen. There's a day that's going to come where it's going to be different. Where I will remember speak, God speaking. Where I will never remember your sins again. And I'll write my law on your heart. And I will I will cause you to be different. Now, if you guys have been around generations or for any amount of time. You know this is coming. This is my favorite verse in, in all of Scripture, and it says just this. I mean, Ezekiel says this. I don't know if we have oh yeah, there we go. Okay, I'm like, did I put that in there? And I will give you a new heart, and I a spirit I will put with, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here's what God says, I will give you a new heart. That hard heart that you've had, I will take that out and I'll give you a heart of flesh, a heart that can beat for God. And a new spirit I'll put within you, I'll put my spirit in you, Jesus is saying. And I will cause you, I will, I will cause you, to, I'll give you the, the, the ability to walk in new ways. And I will give you the ability to obey me. And so, they, so if you back up to Jeremiah's covenant, to the to covenant made through Jeremiah to the people, here's what he's saying. You've been in this situation, you've been in this system where everything about our covenant is to remind you you're sinful and dirty and in need of a savior. And I think the, the sinful and the death part was one side and the shame and the, and, the, and the unclean part was another. And it just reminds us that there's sometimes that our, our issues are sins we've committed and sometimes there's sins that have been committed against us. And sometimes our brokenness is our own, we've really chosen it. And sometimes our brokenness is the things that people have done to us. And so both sides of that, there was the law written on stone tablets. Said, here's what you're to do or not do. And really all this was to do is to show us how broken we were. And God says, one day, here's what I'll do. I will wipe all that away. I'll fulfill all of that. I'll remember your sins no more. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll clean you up, and I will cause you to be made new. I will cause you to be different, and that will be my new covenant. Back to Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is writing to this church, and they're quoting Jeremiah, saying, listen, man, remember this promise? We're in it. Jesus has come and made the new covenant true. Now we're in it. And so I want to spend these last few verses just looking at why does this matter to the church today? Why does this matter to us? So back in verse eight, it says this. For he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So the gospel, a new and better covenant. The old covenant depended upon the obedience of human beings. But the new covenant of the gospel is secured by the obedience of Christ. Because Christ has been obedient, we are guaranteed a future in the presence of God. We'll go quickly and just wrap this up. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people They shall not teach each his own neighbor, each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So that verse that I just quoted to you, he says, listen, here, again, now, Jeremiah's words are very similar. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, right? Ezekiel says, I will take that hard heart of stone out, and I'll put a heart of flesh in, and I'll cleanse you, and I'll give you a new spirit, and I will cause you to walk in new ways. Here's a note for you. Instead of laws written on tablets of stone, God takes our hearts or our hearts of stone and makes them alive by writing his law in our hearts and causing us to live a new life. Here's what's better about the gospel than the old, the old covenant. It's this. It's not that we know right and wrong. It's that we're enabled to do right. right? It's not just that we know what we're called to do and called not to do because we still have that. But instead of just when we fell fell short back here before Jesus came, just when the the people of Israel, when they fell short, they had to go and literally slaughter an animal and pour out their hearts and their guilt and their shame before God. But now we go straight to Jesus and go, I did it again, and Jesus says, "But I I covered your sin already. And I put my spirit in you, and I've caused you to be new. Now let me continue to teach you how to walk in this newness of light. I've written what is right and what is wrong on your hearts. And I've given you my spirit. You you don't have to be, you're not defined by this anymore. And I'm not, please hear me, I'm not making excuses for when we fall short. What I'm saying is this, this sense of I can't seem to get past it is hopeless. Instead, the gospel is all hope. It's all new life. It's all, listen, Jesus is saying, I've done all the work. Let me just teach you how to walk in this. Let me teach you how to be faithful. Let me teach you how to be led by my spirit that's in you. Let me teach you how to be defined by me and not defined by your failures. Verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I will be merciful towards their sins or iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Remember that attorney image we've been talking about. Now imagine you've been accused of something. Let's just say this, and and you're guilty. Now, standing between you and the judge, who is God the Father, and you're guilty, and God's not, and in between you two is Jesus, that perfect advocate, saying, listen, yeah, he's wrong, she's wrong, yeah, they've done it a lot. Yeah, a lot. Really a lot. But I died. I gave my life for them. Like I've paid that penalty. They can't suffer that penalty because I did. And he just stands in between us and God says, I just, I remember your sins no more. Your sins are covered. Instead of laws, oh, excuse me, the old covenant based on law and sacrifice reminded people they were sinful, dying, and in constant need of God. The gospel reminds people that their sin has been covered by Jesus and they have been given a new life that is eternal, a new life that has begun and a new life that will live on forever. And that new life is really that life that Christ has secured for us, that that spirit inside us is the very spirit of Jesus in us, causing us not only to walk in new ways, but to understand, it is causing us to be new, to be made new, that's why the term born again is so popular. It's been so used throughout history of, listen, I'm not that, I'm this. I've been, again, like Corinthians would say, a new creation in Christ. Verse 13, the final verse says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the old one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, I want to kind of close with this. Now, most of us in here didn't grow up in a Jewish home. And if you did grow up in a Jewish home, you didn't grow up in a Jewish home that offered sacrifice and slaughtered a lamb and did this, right? And so when you read this, you're thinking, okay, but all that has gone away. All that really is a part of a history of Judaism that really doesn't apply to us. And I would say, well, sometimes that's true. But then there's a lot of things that we hold on to that are really reminiscent of an old covenant or they're reminiscent of the way things were. And we don't realize how, how Jesus has made things new. And we don't understand how everything has changed, and yet sometimes we still hang on to these things that are really a part of something that has faded, vanished, and gone away. And so I just wanted to give you three things as we close, just to take with you throughout this week. Sin and shame. Too often today, Christians live their lives defined by sin and shame. Not believing and embracing that Jesus has covered sin, and removed our shame. Too many of us sitting here today allow ourselves to be, fi- to be defined by either things we've done or things that have been done to us. We allow ourselves to be defined by our worst choices or the most vicious and worst choices of other people that have fallen on us. We allow ourselves to be defined by our addictions, our habits, our brokenness, we allow ourselves to be defined by our, the way we view life. And said so Jesus says, you're no longer defined by any of that. In fact, you're now redefined. And in fact, now you're defined by me. You're a son or a daughter of God. Like, you don't have to be defined by this, by your sexual orientation or your this. Or You don't have to be defined by this. Like, you're just a son or a daughter of Christ. And in that, not a perfect one, but one with a perfect Savior. You don't have to be defined by your sin or your shame. Next slide. The cost of our lives. Since Jesus gave his life for ours, the cost for us is to give our lives to Jesus. We don't get to inherit all that Jesus has done for us without us giving every piece of our lives to him. Now bear in mind, we will never have given all of our pieces of our lives to Jesus while we're here. We will always fall short of that marker. But too many of us come here and we sit here and we've given maybe Sunday mornings to Jesus. Maybe some time on Wednesday night. But really through the rest of the week, we kind of live the way we've always lived. Maybe we think because we belong to a church or because we give or serve. Maybe that, that's, that's enough. But Jesus is saying, I gave everything. I literally gave everything, gave my life for you. I entered into human history for you, I didn't have to. And then I lived for you and I, and I died for you and then I rose from the grave for you and I spent time here to tell you like this is, is my sacrifice for you. Now your sacrifice is to give every piece of you to me as long as you're here and for eternity. We don't get to pick and choose which pieces we give to Jesus. If Jesus is our savior, we give it all. As flawed and broken as our gift is, we give it all. Last slide. An eternal promise. With Jesus as our mediator, we are guaranteed a future. Though the cost is our lives, Jesus knows our payment is flawed. He stands at God's right hand on behalf, on our behalf, even in our weakest moments, making our defense. Understand that when we lay it all down before God, it's pretty jacked up. It's pretty messy and broken, and it's, it's, we're always constantly trying to take parts of ourself back. But Jesus stands there between us and God as our defense, as our mediator, as our God, as our Savior. And he stands there, and as God looks at us, he just sees it through the lens of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. And there is nothing, there is nothing that God sees but the righteousness of Jesus standing in our place. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. How could we not? You've taken who we are, which is a mess at best. And what you've done is you've traded for who you are, which is perfect and holy. And you, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, you stand in perfect righteousness on our behalf so that we might live in your perfect peace. Forgive us for when we try and take control of our lives back and we don't honor you. Forgive us when we identify ourselves by our sin or our shame. When we define ourselves either by how much we make or what we do or any other thing other than you. Forgive us when we we hold others to the standards we we wouldn't want you to hold us to. Forgive us when we get on this endless cycle of sin and shame and repentance and sin and shame and repentance, and let us move on to maturity. Let us press into what you've given us. Let us remember that that old covenant, that that every constant sacrifice and blood and death was exhausting, and, and sometimes we treat our faith like that today. Instead, we need to walk away from it like that scapegoat we talked about a few weeks ago, to runs off into the wilderness, set free. Let us live like that. Let us live as if we've been set free to a whole new life because you've empowered us for that. You've given your life so that we could have that. So Jesus, let us run with it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.